Someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. C.S. Lewis. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. And I have a question for you. Have you ever listened to the lyrics to Ring Around the Rosie? Yes, and they are very morbid. Have you read any of these classic bedtime stories? Earlier versions of Cinderella, the pre-Disney Cinderella. Um, I have, but the versions I read were still watered down and less morbid than they used to be. In the last 75 years, all of a sudden we decided to sanitize a lot of the bedtime stories. But if you look at Hansel and Gretel, there isn't a Disney Hansel and Gretel movie because it's child cannibalism and it ends. So this era of storytelling may have started long before Shakespeare. This has roots in the oral traditions of education and teaching wrong and right and morality. But after Shakespeare, after the printing press, suddenly we get all of these stories compiled, combined by people like the Brothers Grimm and Hans Christian Andersen. The versions they wrote were still the creepy, traditional cut-off-a-toe-or-a-heel-in-order-to-fit-into-the-shoe versions. We did have a little bit of this in the 6th century BC with Aesop, but they kind of went dormant and then revived in the Hans Christian Andersen era. Also, if you look at old European Christmas traditions, it was a way of teaching the kids to be good by making them afraid to be bad. And that's kind of what these fairy tales and bedtime stories were, was making them afraid to do bad. These trendsetters that we're going to talk about are not the original creators of the story, but they are credited for gathering them for maybe having the more popular version because there's a lot of crossover in who published what stories, but some became more popular than others. Of course, Hans Christian Andersen is one of the first names that comes up in the fairy tale story collection. If you're going to start down this path, this is the first step. He provided us with a lot of the Disney classics like The Little Mermaid and The Snow Queen and even Thumbelina. And you can't have fairy tales without the Brothers Grimm, who introduced things like Rapunzel, Hansel and Gretel, Tom Thumb. A lot more of the stories with Germanic roots came from the Brothers Grimm. Another name that you might not recognize, but stories that you will, would be Joseph Jacobs and the Three Little Pigs. And that includes Jack and the Beanstalk and also Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You then have Charles Perrault, who was a French kind of counter to the Brothers Grimm, who compiled the popular versions of Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, and The Little Red Riding Hood, among others. The Brothers Grimm were also often credited for Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, but another version would be Marie Catherine Dolnoy. We probably butchered that name. We are not French speakers. We apologize. She had a version of Snow White and a lot of these other classics that didn't take off quite as well, but she also added to this collection of fairy tales. 
She was still a fairly important figure in this creation of fairy tale as a genre, even if her versions weren't the popular ones. But the popular ones today are, of course, the Disney retellings. There is a revival of these stories and a revival of Disney with these stories that repopularized Disney, and that's known as the Disney Renaissance. In this vein of fairy tales, we have Beauty and the Beast, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, that came out of this Disney Renaissance. So if we look at the origins of these fairy tales, what impact did they have on storytelling today other than giving us a ton of fodder for retellings? One of the first things that come to mind are the generational storytelling. This is not the oral storytelling that we talked about prior, although it's a similar role in society. But this is a story for entertainment, maybe to teach a little bit of a lesson, from parent to kid, where the moment of the story, not necessarily the content of the story, is more important. This is where we have it really being broken up by audience. Shakespeare's era had the something for everyone. The fairy tales are very specific in who they were designed for. Prior to this moment in storytelling history, there was very little value placed on children in the storytelling world. This started to access a niche of the full market. And it's also my favorite, the beginnings of fantasy as we know it. True fantasy where you have magic and other creatures and things in fantasy. We did see a little bit of that in A Midsummer Night's Dream, in Tempest, a couple of these other Shakespearean, but they were limited by what they could pull off on a stage. So me telling you a story about elves that live in the lilies in Grandma's garden, and then you going and exploring Grandma's garden later, it changes how one ingests the story. Especially in a childhood, which is such an era of imagination. Magic is not just for the gods anymore. It's not the gods giving enchanted devices. It's regular people with magical abilities. Rumpelstiltskin is this trickster character who also has this magical ability. Prior to this, a lot of magic had to have an origin story, whereas in this genre of storytelling, there is an acceptance of magic existing out there. It's not that the gods blessed you with this and therefore you have magic. But this isn't just fantasy and magic for fantasy and magic's sake. This is education still. Fairy tales were to teach a lesson. And most of those lessons were listen to your parents and don't disobey. Be afraid of the dark. Be afraid of strangers and other people that you don't know. Be afraid of magic because magic is bad. We talked in the David and Goliath episode about the cultural us versus them that came with including humans as villains. In this, you're perpetuating from a young age that the stranger, the other, is bad. Stay away from the witch in the woods. She's just trying to have a nice little cottage and stop stealing her cabbages. This idea of us versus them, there is the villain, they did something bad. This witch, even though we stole her cabbages, was bad because she cursed our child and stole our child. Yeah, it's hard not to side with the villain in some of these. 
Which is a lot of what's happened since then, especially in the last 20 or so years, mostly since Wicked came out. We have this, here's the villain's story and why they're this way. You see that in Disney recently, Maleficent, Cruella, their villain tellings of the story. You also have a bit of a perpetuation of gender stereotypes. A bit? Okay, a lot. This is where the damsel in distress comes from. The fairy tales were very much the girl's objective is to marry the prince. That was their goal. If they don't have that, then they failed. So how can we take these principles of fairy tales, of magic and morals and a lot of morbidity, and apply it in our own writing? Make your writing morbid? Yes. I think there's a weird fear of including darkness in children's stories because they can't handle it. This whole era of storytelling proves otherwise. So don't be afraid to breach a topic because you think your audience can't handle it. If kids can handle chopping off of toes and heels, eating of children, they can handle a lot more than you think they can. This is the time where they started to focus on audiences. So we can use that today. Focus on your audience, on understanding your audience. We often tell you don't write for your audience, which is still absolutely true. But in your editing process, if you were writing with the goal of publishing, feel free to push the boundaries a little bit. And if you're reading through these and you're thinking, hey, this story has great potential, I wonder if I could change something a little bit about it and make it new, make it my own. Yes, do so. There is a huge market, especially right now, for retellings of a lot of these stories. Oftentimes, they're changing a little aspect about it. They're making Cinderella modern day or telling it from the Wicked Witch of the West's point of view instead of just the normal story that everyone already knows. Add your own twist to it. And in modern tellings, you also see a lot of mashups. You have Into the Woods and Shrek and Once Upon a Time where they're taking all these classic fairy tales and shoving them into one story. You can do that as well. All of these fairy tales are not under copyright restriction, so long as you're using the original fairy tales as your basis. So you can have fun with it. Take those stories, make them your own fairy tale, just like the Brothers Grimm did, just like Hans Christian Andersen, just like Disney is doing today. Another thing you can take and apply to your own writing is the idea that anyone can be the hero. The children can be the hero. Little Red Riding Hood, the hero was just some woodsman going through the woods, heard some screaming, came and killed the wolf. We advise having this character introduced in Act 1 simply because we don't want to have a deus ex machina scenario. But anyone can be a hero. Your child can be the one to push the witch into her own oven. These stories are incredibly intimate, often because they were told between parent and child. So take your writing and make it intimate to your target audience and make it intimate to yourself. Right, selfishly. 
If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 